Welcome to episode number 98 of the Inspirational Athletes Podcast here on the Always Lancaster Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Walk, sports reporter for LNP Newspaper and LancasterOnline.com in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. On this week's show is guest Melissa Mertz. She is now the Associate Director, a Associate Director at uh, the PIAA. That's what most folks know her for today. But did you know... She uh, is from Lancaster County, played field hockey coming up through at Cocalico High School before leading a highly successful, <clears throat> excuse me, a highly su- successful career at Shippensburg. She was later inducted into the Shippensburg Athletics Hall of Fame in 2008. Um, we talk about all that, kind of her whole field hockey journey, what that was like, and uh, most recently, it's kind of timely in the fact that over the summer, she participated in an international tournament um, in field hockey, the field hockey at the EXIN Masters World Cup in Terrassa, Spain. She trained here locally and then went over with a bunch of uh, ladies actually who are from Lancaster County um, whenever to compete in that. So we kind of chat about that whole experience and then get into uh, some hot button topics and her role at the PIAA just as far as the whole private-public boundary, non-boundary debate, um, the summit that was held in the month of July among public school officials, um, the Act 219 that was established in 1972, what the PIAA thinks of that, where they come down on what side of the fence, what may or may not happen in the future. Um, and then just kind of lastly hit on what it's like to be a female in, in a prominent position nowadays, what it was like for her kind of coming up through in this role, what she does in her day-to-day duties uh, with the PIAA. I think it's a really revealing podcast, not only in the fact that, you know, she played field hockey coming up through Calico Shippensburg, but also her role at the PIAA, what she does, all the hot button topics, and also how she juggles being, you know, not only a full-time employee where a job that requires a lot of her time, but also has two teenage kids oh and she's trying to stay in shape to keep up to speed on her field hockey skills even today uh in her 40s so kind of get a revealing look as to how someone like melissa mertz used to be melissa nash back in the day her maiden name how she goes about staying so successful and becoming so successful today and, and juggling so many things all right one last programming note before we move forward here. If you guys like what you hear on today's podcast, feel free to hop on iTunes or Google Play, search out Always Lancaster Inspirational Athletes in the podcast section, and hit subscribe. With all that out of the way, on to our conversation with Melissa Mertz. All right, so I kind of like to start at least the last couple months anyway with icebreakers just to kind of get the guests comfortable. So right. with that being said, when you were growing up and you were a little girl, like who was the favorite athlete that you looked up to that was kind of your role model? Wow. Um, well, I actually grew up in Florida, um, so I can have, probably have to tell you it wasn't a field hockey player because we didn't have field hockey down there. Wow. Um, lived in Florida for quite a few years, then to Georgia, and then my dad was uh, relocated up to Pennsylvania. So um, I would have to say when I did get up to Pennsylvania and I started, I was talked into playing field hockey just because I was fast at the mm-hmm. time. I knew nothing about the sport. And uh, there was a lady on the Olympic team, her name was Barb Moir, and she was, I've never seen a woman built like this. I was just so <laughs> impressed with the muscular uh, tone of her that I, uh, I really was drawn in probably from that point on. So okay. yeah, I would say Barb, she was a Olympian on the field hockey team. Okay, and mm-hmm. kind of along those lines, when you're growing up, is there one job or field, job field or profession, what have you, that you said, okay, when I grow up, I wanna be this one day. Yeah, well, I knew it wanted to be athletics. Um, okay. I was a 110% tomboy. Um, my parents tried, my mom tried to put me in ballet and tap and and try to make me <laughs> more feminine. And uh, 
And I resisted. And finally, she just kind of threw her hands up and said, look, she wants to do, she wants to play football. She mm -hmm. wants to do, she wants to play with her brother and his friends. And you know what? So be it. Let's let her do it. So I was that um, kid growing up that was always outside playing with the boys. And I think that helped me, um, to be honest with you, because when it came time, you know, I entered the seventh grade and we started having junior high sports. Mm. Uh, I was a three-sport athlete all the way through from when, uh, seventh to twelfth. When did you guys come to Lancaster County then? Like I was in seventh you? grade, okay, actually. Mm -hmm. so middle school. Yep, yep. Um, and yeah, you kind of hit on it just as far as the upbringing. It sounds like you grew up in an athletic household with yeah. brother, sister. Yeah, my, I had a brother who played football, wrestled, and played baseball. Older? Younger? Older. Four years okay. older. Yeah. All right. So yep. I didn't know if like you were the role model in the house <laughs> that your brother well, looked up to. Well, I still to think her. I okay. am. <laughs> um, what was your first job that you ever had, whether it be part-time, full-time, whatever? Oh, my first job I ever had was um, cleaning horse stables. Oh, cool. Um, I, I've, the, the other part, I guess, of maybe being a little bit of a tomboy was I just love physical labor, surprisingly, right. at, you know, at a young age, and loved animals. So it, um, I got hooked up with a, a local family, and um, okay. I cleaned their horse stables. I was going to ask you, did your parents <laughs> own horses or anything Yeah, like we that, did so. when I was younger, so it was a natural Do you still fit. ride today? No, I have. I mean, occasionally our family, if we do a trip, but uh, we don't have horses. But like if you were like, you know, on vacation and said, okay, yeah. we're going horseback, oh, you would jump on and know exactly what I would jump on do. in a heartbeat. All right. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, because I've done other stories. There's a girl up in Manor, Darby Conrad, who just competed in like the National High School Rodeo. But I've learned just from observing her as a teenager, like she's taking care of horses, like she's almost a mom, feeding yeah. them tack, yeah. water and all that stuff. Yeah. It's almost like a maturing process yeah. like where you have to grow up quick because you're taking care of this large animal. Oh, was right. it like that for you at all or not really? Uh, I wasn't that hands-on. She okay. sounds like she was much more hands-on right. than I was. Um, yeah, and as far as uh, we're going to be talking field hockey here, and this is kind of along the lines of a fun question, so I wanted to ask you this before I forget, but okay. Pennsylvania, we're known for, at least around here, especially in Lancaster County, for producing top field hockey players. This seems like a field hockey hotbed. I'm wondering, in your opinion, why do you think that is? Uh, 110% it is. Um, I even have sat on the National Rules Committee for field hockey for all of uh, high school athletics, and every single year that I served on that committee, we were really looked to as like the leaders in field hockey, the experts in field hockey. And uh, people really looked to us as, you know, really the progressive state with it, the pioneers. They knew we produced a lot of um, field hockey players that, you know, all go to high levels. So it is very much viewed that Pennsylvania has a stronghold on field hockey. There's no question about uh, it. Has it been like that, like since you were in middle school or has it only You know, been I don't really, I don't remember okay. it as much um, when I was in middle school. I'd say it was more when I got to the college level that I started to realize like a majority of the girls okay. on our team were all Pennsylvania based. I shouldn't say all, but a majority of them were Pennsylvania based. And um, I didn't know if like during your time from Cocalico and since then, if you've seen like high school programs add field hockey over the years and now it's just more kids are playing it as opposed to. Yeah, um, uh, we have seen schools add. And um, I think it's just interesting enough that even when we did the switch, if you remember years back when we moved girls spring soccer completely mm. to the fall, everybody was very concerned that it would c kill field hockey. And it did not. I mean, you might have had of maybe two or three programs that had to make some juggling and had to make some things work because there's very small schools and they just don't have a lot of girls. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, field hockey is as strong, if not stronger than it's ever been in mm -hmm. our state. Um, and kind of going back and forth here, my apologies, sure. but I wanted to, to touch on, before I get to your field hockey career at uh, Cocalico, you were also known for playing basketball and, tra and participating in track and field. Um, so first off, basketball, what position did you play? I was a guard. Okay. I was a, yeah, more of a point guard. I wasn't, I am, 
I'd say definitely a point guard, a um, little bit of a shooting guard, but yeah, it was definitely. And a what events in track and field? I started out in sprints, and then I usually I ended up moving to middle distance by the time I was a junior and senior. So I was doing more of the 800, okay. uh, the 3200 relay by the time I was a senior. Um, and along those lines, being that you were a three-sport athlete in high school, we mentioned before we started recording here, you have two twin daughters, teenagers that are playing sports. Um, I'm kind of curious as far as like your opinion on three-sport athlete, why you think that's important instead of just specializing, and are you carrying that over to your own girls? Yeah. Um, actually, I have a boy and a girl. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. And um, I absolutely believe in it. And, and I think um, m- maybe not three, but I definitely feel it's very important for them to experience multiple sports. And um, I'm not a fan of specializing. I think that is a big piece of what has made me successful through the years, um, whether it was college or professional life. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, it's working in a different sport. It's working with different teammates. It's working with different personalities. And it teaches you to be able to adjust to, you know, just about anything. So yeah. um, I'm huge on it. Plus, I think there's also the greater risk of injury when you specialize. Um, we've started to see reports about that. And um, I just, I'm a big believer in uh, multiple sports. Mm-hmm. So my daughter will be doing field hockey and lacrosse this year, and my son does mountain biking and basketball. Oh, fantastic. So yeah. I'll be able to uh, see your son in basketball and your daughter in lacrosse because right. they're the sports <laughs> that I, I cover anyway. Um, as far as field hockey goes, when do you start getting involved in that coming up through? Was it just when you got to Lancaster County? Yeah, or, okay. no, I was in seventh grade, <clears throat> and I didn't know anything about the sport. And um, they just recognized that I was fast uh, from running track, and they said, <laughs> <laughs> or gym class, I think it was, and everybody convinced me I should go out for field hockey. And I was like, okay. Well, I was terrible. To, I'll be honest with you. I Terrible from the sense that I just didn't understand it. The rules were different back then. You had obstruction that was just difficult. It was difficult for me to grasp. Uh, so ninth or seventh grade was uh, I was fast and I was still on the team because I was fast probably. <laughs> That's it. Eighth grade got a little better. And then ninth grade, it just everything came together. It clicked and everything kind of came together. And that's when I think I started to really take off. And what position in field hockey? I always played forward in high okay. school. I was yeah. going to ask because mm-hmm. I know what's what we know you for later on. Yeah. Um, as far as high school days, when do you at what point do you realize like I'm talented enough or good enough at this sport to play at the next level? Um. I knew within me that's what I wanted to do. Like, I, I, I couldn't at that point stop playing. I wanted to play all the time. And I was also, you know, I'd play three sports during the school year. In the summertime, I played softball. And then I also did pick up basketball with guys that were older than me because I always just felt uh. that, you know, that I just always wanted to challenge myself. And, and I even back then I could say that I could see that I could always take myself out of my comfort mm-hmm. level. And um, so I knew I just didn't want to stop playing. And <laughs> so uh, I was definitely interested in pursuing. When does uh, Shippensburg come into play for you? So Shippensburg comes into play going into my senior year. I had looked at Drexel, Millersville, Delaware, and Shippensburg, oh. uh, and Villanova. Oh. Um, I was very interested in Villanova, but unfortunately couldn't financially make it work. Hmm. And, um, and, and I think this is a, an important piece because it's something in my professional life that, that we see day to day almost. And that's that um, when I was in high school, uh, I was fortunate enough to go to track championships at Shippensburg. Wow. And I got to check out the campus. I was in the bookstore. I was, you know, we were all about in, in town and everything. 
And I truly believe that was a big piece in helping me decide where I wanted to go to college because I was very already familiar with the campus. And I'll get to the, the Shippensburg field hockey career in a second, but mm-hmm. I also wanted to bring this up before I forget. You played lacrosse there all four years. Had you played lacrosse at all? Before no, I actually only played one year. Oh, I you wish, did? I, I'm yeah, sorry. I, no, that's okay. I, I would have loved to say I played four years, but... Um, it was, just as you started to say, it was very difficult picking up a sport when everybody's been playing at a college level, Division Two. when many of the, you know, my teammates had been playing for five, six years. And uh, and I just felt that my time would have probably been better spent interning, okay. getting ready for my career. <laughs> all right, so one, one year and done with that. Right. Um, all right, so I want to read, uh, I kind of have a long list of accomplishments as far as when, uh, oh I guess it would have been Melissa Nash back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to read that, and then I have a couple questions for you off of okay. that. All right, let me take a breath here. All right, uh, yeah, Melissa Nash back then was a talented two-sport athlete that thrived in field hockey for the Lady Raiders. She was a three-time NFHCA All-American, earned all-conference first-team honors in each of her competitive field hockey seasons. She was also a member of the cross team during the spring season. Um, in the 1991 season, Nash made an immediate impact by tallying eight goals and three assists in her freshman campaign en route to the, her first of four consecutive all-PSAC first-team selections. Um, Lady Raiders finished with a 16 and six mark in 1992. During the 93, 94 seasons, Nash was again honored by the NFHCA being named a first team All-American. For her junior season, she was the recipient of the class of 1926 Women's Athletic Scholarship Award. And by the time the campaign was over, she had earned MVP honors. She scored 11 goals, tallied two assists while guiding the Lady Raiders to the PSAC tournament 13-8 record. Under Nash's leadership, the Lady Raiders made three consecutive PSAC tournament appearances from 1991 to 1993. Uh, let's see. Uh, her workload and reliability increased during her tenure at Shippensburg, culminating her senior year, in which she finished with the then school record 18 goals. She also recorded a career high with 39 points during her senior year. At the time of her graduation, Nash held the school record for career goals, but is now ranked fifth in school history with 50 goals and 112 points. For her career, she also totaled 12 assists. And I got that off of the Shippensburg Athletics website um, that had all this listed when uh, Melissa was inducted into the Shippensburg Athletics Hall of Fame induction class in 2008. So congratulations to that. Thank you. All right, with all that being said, um, first off, your transition from high school to college, you make it look relatively easy just because that first year you go and you have success right away. I imagine there had to be some kind of bumps in the road that first, if you can remember back that far. Oh, I I can. In fact, (laughs) interestingly enough, I just talked about it because um, my daughter as a freshman just made the varsity team and um, we were talking about um, her interaction with the upperclassmen and, you know, a pecking order and a respect for the upperclassmen. And I came into Shippensburg and I completely ruffled feathers. <laughs> I don't, I, I just, I wanted to play. I wanted to start and I wanted to prove myself. So I was uh, all about making that happen. So if it was finishing first in the mile, it didn't matter what it took. And I don't think some upperclassmen took to that very well. Um, <laughs> n- not that I felt I was rude no. to them, but they just didn't like that I was going to start in, you know, certain games. And, and they were freshman trying to prove herself right, and exactly. having not yet <laughs> earned her keep a little bit. Right. So, and then, go ahead. Uh, it was just funny. I just talked about that with my daughter just because, you know, just to make sure she stays grounded and, you know, doesn't get any go or anything of that nature. And I don't think she will. But Do you was, realize immediately, like, hey, I definitely can play at this level? Um, yeah, I, I felt that way, uh, walking into a division two program. I just, you know, right when we started with conditioning, I was, uh, you know, I was in the front, if not the leader Mm. of many of the conditioning drills and Mm. I was very aggressive. 
Um, and I think that's what really, you know, kind of brought me to the forefront, you know, at an early age, mm. you know. In my Where does that, that aggressiveness or fearless spirit from you come at that age? Well, I've, I've always said, and I continue to say, I think that's something that's innate in somebody. I, right. You know, I've always said that if I coached, um, you just give me players that have uh, natural aggression. Give me players that have natural heart. Give me players that it's just innate. I can teach you the skills, so you can teach me the skills, but to have that heart, to have that just natural aggression, I think just has to be something that you, that you have inside you. And um, I, it can't be taught, in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> and sorry I'm kind of zooming through things That's here, okay. but I have a lot of stuff I want to get sure. to with you. Did you, after college, after Shippensburg, did you try to play professionally field hockey anywhere? Was that a thing? I did, yeah. I okay. went to an Olympic, I was invited to an Olympic developmental camp. It was held at Bucknell. I'm mm. sorry, no, I'm sorry. It was held at Rutgers University. Mm. And I went and I did not make the cut. Um, I think at that time they were, and, and rightfully so, Division One players were at a much higher level, and I believe that's probably a majority of the ones that were making it. Yeah, and yeah. one of the reasons I had Melissa on today, we're recording this, uh, let's see, August 22nd. This will come out probably late September, early October. But Melissa just recently got back from playing an overseas tournament after having been selected to represent the USA in field hockey at the EXIN Masters World Cup in Terrassa, Spain. Mm -hmm. um, first off, how do you get selected for something like that? Uh, there was a series of tryouts. Um, I, actually, a couple years ago, I was notified uh, they had the first Masters World Cup tournament, and it was in Australia. And um, I was uh, a friend of mine actually brought it up to me. I had no idea this even existed. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, where? <laughs> and um, so I tried out then, I made that team, and uh, I then tried out the following year for an indoor World Cup team. I made that team, and we played in Germany. And then, um, again, this last fall, we had a series of three tryouts. I would probably say we had almost 300 women tryout uh, for five different teams. They're all age-based. And I was fortunate enough to make the uh, to make one of those teams. And that's on my list of questions. And I have manners, and I'm told not my to age. ask a girl her <laughs> age. But like the team that you played on specifically, was it an age range from something? Yes, something? Okay. 40, 45 to fifty. Um, yes. And along those lines, how do you? At that kind of age, like, I can just picture myself trying to play a sport like that when I get older and just ripping every single ligament <laughs> in my knees and stuff like that. So first off, how do you stay in shape today and, and stay healthy and keep away from injury, I guess? Yeah, boy, it's the biggest piece, as you know, as, as you get older. Um, we don't recover as fast as we used to, and, uh, you know, we're much more prone to injury. Um, I just have a much better... A healthier outlook on how to train. Um, I used to be of the mindset, even probably when I was in college, that if my workout, if I wasn't completely exhausted at the end of the day, it wasn't a good workout, it wasn't worth anything, or I wasn't going to get better. Mm. And it took me a long time to realize that, um, you know, not every single workout has to be gut-wrenching, you know, <laughs> drop to your death do you workout. realize that if it takes you a long time to realize that like do you come to that realization because like you started getting injured yes. you couldn't recover yes. as fast yes okay. both yeah i was having injuries and i wasn't recovering and um so i unfortunately fortunately now i'm just uh i have a much better approach a much more realistic approach i still train very hard i'll still go out and play with uh, college girls, mm -hmm. um, they're a lot faster. But so I'm curious as far as like, okay, going in after you, you're selected for this team before you even get to Spain, 
What are you doing field hockey wise to stay up in those talents? And what are you doing like cardio or weightlifting yeah. wise? Yeah, we do. Uh, we played a lot. We played in tournaments. Um, we uh, did a lot of practices at Drexel. We did some at Villanova and some at uh, Spooky Nook. And I've always said, and I think probably most field hockey uh, players will agree with this, I think, nothing trains you for field hockey like field hockey. Um, it, you know, you can do intervals, and which it, uh, all is great, don't get me wrong, and, and doing, you know, stadium steps. And other, but that bent over position is, and, and that, you know, the way the girls are playing now, it's such, so incredible to watch them play, the, how low they get in block tackles and, it is just a different fitness, you know? And um, so I just say that, you know, we, I played as often as I could. I'd probably play two, three times a week, um, taking plenty of rest days, eating right, um, just taking care of myself, you know, um, mentally as well. And since you live in the town school district, are you playing at like the Nook? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah, it, other... I was kind of spoiled because when we had <laughs> practices at Spooky Nook, it was perfect. In yeah. your backyard, But literally yeah. right now, in this area and probably most areas of Pennsylvania, you can play year round easily. All right. Yeah. Um, can you kind of walk us through for those who aren't familiar with this tournament, um, essentially two weeks, what, what's happening there? How many games are you playing? Right. What's the schedule like? Right. Yeah. We, um, it was pretty intense. We, we scrimmaged twice. We had practices. We played seven games and, um, you know, it was just about it. I think for us, you know, what you had to be ready for was the back to back to back to back, you know, because, mm. you know, for the most part right now, if I play hockey, I play one or two <laughs> days a week. I'm not playing four games in a row. <laughs> so that was something that we conditioned for. We would go, we'd play in multiple day tournaments, or I would make sure that if I played two hockey games, you know, or two days in a row, then the third day I was also doing something, probably mm. trail running, probably intervals, probably something of that nature. How many women on your team specifically? Uh, specifically on our team, there are 18. There's two goalies and 16 field players. And the reason don't. I ask that, like, I'm wondering if, if maybe one game you start, if the next game it's a whole different lineup start, just to yeah, keep no, that depth and rest um, if you're playing well, back Well, I still have the attitude I want to start again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Some of that never goes away, right. I guess. But, um... Yeah, I was fortunate enough to start, I think, all but one. So I had to be ready for that, yeah. Had you been to Spain before? No, okay. never, so yeah. Is there anything outside of, like, off the field that you're going to take with you as far as memorable moments? Yeah, places? well, it was uh, – my daughter went along, and it, I would say it was a great experience for her and I. Um, you know, she loves to travel. She loves to explore, and she's very open-minded to different cultures. And so it was great. She had a great time. We had a great time. We went out to the beaches. You know, just seeing – just being a part of a different culture, how they how they live, the you know, the traditions that they have and how it's different from here, and respecting that, mm-hmm. you know, and appreciating that. So I think it was – I think – it was just as much important to me to, for her to enjoy it and get a lot out of it and just to open her up to new opportunities. And as far as the tournament itself, I imagine you're playing teams from all across the world. Yes. Um, where did, did you guys mm-hmm. end up finishing there in a certain rank? Is like yeah, a- we finished seven, seventh out of 12 teams. Wow. Um, right. Which yeah. th- isn't so bad for a bunch of old ladies going over <laughs> Playing in Europe where, yourself. yeah, I mean, right. you have <clears throat> some powerhouses over there, Australia, England, New mm. Zealand, you know, Argentina. I mean, we played all those teams. Germany, they're they're very, very good field hockey. Before I transition to the job side um, with Piatabelli today, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you one last kind of like athletic question with you individually. I, knew, I read something somewhere, you're a professional mountain bike racer <laughs> today. What does that look like? I don't know if I would really consider it professional. Um, I really, about a 
four or five years ago, I hit a high level of mountain bike racing. I was, I was racing, um, and this probably helped me with multiple hockey games, but I was racing stage races like in Colorado. And wow. so wow. like there's one called Breck Epic where it's a six day, you know, back to back um, stage race through the mountains of, you know, Breckenridge. <clears throat> but not so much more or not as much today, I guess. No, yeah, that I, I have realized that to try to compete at two sports at a really high level is very difficult and have two kids and have a job. (laughs) So some things I've had to give. So I still definitely go bike recreationally. It's great to just get off the pounding of playing hockey and just, you know, do something different. I love being in the woods. So uh, I do it more recreationally now. All right. I hear it. And I will (laughs) later on kind of near the end, ask you how you juggle all those responsibilities because I think that's important to ask too. Um, Your bachelor's degree in Shippensburg was marketing? Yeah, it okay. was uh, business administration with a specialty in marketing. And as far as, like, when you're going through school, I know you said earlier it was something in sports, but did you have something specifically in mind? No, I really didn't at the time. I just knew I wanted to be involved in athletics. I could just, uh, you know, I knew that this was a part of me, and, uh, you know, I wasn't sure specifically what it was going to be, but I knew it was going to be sports. And you got out of there, I think, 94, 95 from Shippensburg? 95, I graduated, okay. And yeah. there was a few years in between before you started working for mm-hmm. the PAA. I'm curious what happened in those well, in-between years. Well, you could appreciate I worked for the Lebanon Daily News. I oh, worked for a newspaper. You? Yeah, nice. just for a, um, I think it was only a year. And then I, I actually got picked up right down the street was an advertising agency. Mm. Um, and I got picked up by them to work there until I got the announcement for PIAA. I saw that and there was no question. There was no hesitation. What was that role at that point? Um, at the advertising agency? No, or, going yeah. into the PIAA initially. So it was, they were expanding staff. They had three administrative staff at that time. Um, Brad Cashman, Bob Lombardi, and Elliot Hopkins, and they were expanding staff, and okay. they were looking for an assistant executive director. I read the job description, and there was no turning back from there. And uh, Mertz is now the associate director of the PIAA, mm-hmm. and another reason I wanted to have you on, she was recently honored with the National Federation of High Schools Citation Award re- recipient. Um, I'll read this from the uh, press release about that on the PIAA website listed some of your duties. Mertz has been a valuable member of the PIAA for 20 years. Some of her duties include serving as the tournament director for field hockey, competitive spirits, swimming and diving, lacrosse, and softball championships. In addition, Mertz handles public relations, sanctioning member schools, and the interpretation of PIAA bylaws. Mertz has been involved with numerous NFHS committees and projects, including her most recent election of the NFHS Swimming and Diving Rules Committee and past chair of the NFHS Field Hockey Rules Committee. She also served two terms on the NFHS Strategic Planning Committee and one term on the NFHS Technology Committee. Um, With all that being said, um, congratulations on the award, first off. What did it mean to to receive that? It was very humbling, and it's a uh, it's a very big honor. Um, you know, there's eight people um, in a year that they select throughout the country to receive this oh. this award, and um, I'm you know I'm certainly very honored by it. And uh, you know, I look at the individuals that have accepted it in front of me, and you know, um, I don't really. <laughs> consider myself to be that level, right. but you know, I'm, I'm glad that others did think that. So right. I'm very, very thankful. For those unfamiliar, I know it kind of just listed what you've been involved in, but I'm more curious of the like day-to-day responsibilities. Oh, sure. Like let's say, okay, we're recording this Wednesday, August 22nd. What, what are you doing this week, Monday through Friday? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, some of those things I'm sure we'll get to here shortly, but um, you know, we, it's funny because people think that we're down, we're off in the summer, or we have a lot of downtime. And by the time softball and baseball championships wrap up, which is mid to late June, 
we go to a national conference and then we have an officials convention in the beginning of August. So we are already well into getting everything out for the next year to all the schools. We get out a PIAA calendar, we get out the constitution bylaws, uh, rules and regulations. Uh, we make sure all the brackets are out so everybody has that. And um, it's a lot of that. Plus it's a lot of, start with fall sports, it's a lot of eligibility questions coming in. Mm. I'd say that's probably the biggest part of our day right now is um, whether it's parents, athletic directors, uh, principals, it's well, a lot of. Continue through the fall with that, like once the sports start? It, it settles down a little bit. It's always the start okay. of the school year because you might have, because it's not just fall sports. You have a kid that transferred over the summer that's a basketball player. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to make sure you do you get the paperwork in now? When do you do it? So, um, yeah, it's, so it will fall off a little bit. Yeah. And because like, for instance, us as reporters, we only really ever get to see you at like PIAA tournaments right. three seasons of the year. So I'm wondering like, okay, after the start of fall sports and before like the fall state championships, like what does that in between look like that's actually a time when some of us try to get some vacation okay <laughs> some of us will try to get it in july yeah you can right. finally take a right breath. yeah right. everything's off and running you know heat acclimatization is done physical questions all that stuff is pretty much settled down and school started so that's the big interest you know i mean you know the, the schools have started so you know kids getting back in school and getting into that thing so that seems to be the focus then and we can just kind of breathe a little bit till we get up and running with golf really being our first championship in october cool. yeah all right so now that we kind of painted the, that picture a little bit um mm -hmm. it would be irresponsible of me for having somebody from the piaa across from me and not asking some of the hot button issue topics right. that Absolutely. have been Let's in the news it. these last few months um so with all that being said i have a few things i want to get to you and i'll start i guess right off the bat this public-private debate, or the boundary-non-boundary -boundary debate, um, there kind of seems to be, I guess first off along those lines, there seems to be a lot of smoke in terms of postseason tournaments going the way of public tournaments and private school tournaments. So there's a lot of smoke, where will there be fire, or what is the PIAA stance, where do you stand in, the, in that side sure. of defense? <clears throat> yeah, and, and this is a great opportunity for us because I do think, unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and it's important for us to get all the facts out. Um, so for those that don't know, PIAA used to be just a public school association up until 1972 uh, when the legislature passed a law that said that, first of all, they said that they want private schools to be able to participate in postseason playoffs with public schools. So they amended that uh, then to say we want private schools, they want private schools to have full membership within PIAA. So ever since 1972, we have you know, operated such as private schools, public schools, charter schools, cyber charter schools, et cetera. And <clears throat> it's, it's very difficult because I, I think people think, well, just separate them or, or just, you know, and it's not that easy because there's a lot of tentacles to this and, and I'll kind of go through them as quickly as I can. One, their school of choice. And every time that Bob Lombardi, our executive director and I go over to the Capitol, which seems to be more than not lately, <laughs> Um, in a good way, though, uh, we always hear from the governor on down, school of choice is very important. And they do feel that parents should be allowed to make the decision on if they want to send their kid for private school education or public school education or get them into a charter school because they're in the middle of Philadelphia and it's dangerous. And it's, you know, so um, we certainly agree with that. And we want parents to be able to have those decisions. We do think there need to be limitations on those, but we do think that that's an important piece. Second piece is the the law that as the way it stands full membership we understand that to be we cannot get into segregating or discriminating um you know our public from our privates or the charters or cyber charters whatever it may be 
Um, so th- that's obviously a big piece. The Catholic Conference is another piece because people need to understand that the Catholic Conference, they have a representative that's at every single one of our board meetings. They're very well organized. They're very interested in everything that we do, and they watch every step we take. We do feel that if we separated public and private without the change in the law, we would be subject to probably a class action suit by the Catholic Conference. Mm. So there are a lot of pieces. There's a lot of moving parts, you know, and I, and I try to get that message out to everybody. It's not as easy, and I get it. I get that. I mean, I went to Cocalico. I went to a public school. Um, you know, we had to play Lancaster Catholic. We had to play some, you know, really right. tough private school teams. Um, but, you know, you look at the way our system's set up today, you can actually go to a public school and pay tuition, you know? I mean, it's not, granted, I get it. I'm not saying it's the same premises exactly as a private school, but we have a lot of kids that go to Mannheim Central for the agriculture program. They don't live in Mannheim Central. They live in Donegal. They live in E-Town. They live in Penn Manor. So that is a piece that disputes the boundary, non-boundary, because where do you say, what's a boundary school? I mean, is Mannheim Central considered a boundary school? Mm-hmm. They don't, I mean, they could draw kids to their ag program from any school district. There's no limitation there. That so, law, so, sorry to cut you off, no, that's okay. that, that law established in 1972, um, we're almost 50 years removed from that. Why is it only in the last handful or last few years where this has kind of been come about, this law, if it was put in place in 72, and now here we are in 2018, <laughs> and now everybody's all fired up about it? Um, well, to be honest with you, at, at our office, it comes up every year. <laughs> Uh, meaning that it's usually after, sometimes after uh, football, mostly after basketball. Mm. And because that's where you see a large percentage of private schools doing well. Now, I don't believe personally that it all has to be attributed to just because of private schools and then draw whatever. I think the sport itself lends itself to, you know, you need five you know, maybe even three of those five need to be high-level players. Mm. Um, they, the Catholic school system, as you know, they have CYO programs. They start these kids in, what, second grade, and they bring them on up through. They've been playing basketball ever since they, you know, you know they could walk or run almost. So I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying we're naive enough to think that, you know, it's, um, that it's just basketball or that's the only issue or that, you know. But it's just – it's important for us to get all the information out because I think people, like I said, I think there's some misinformation out there. And um, I think it's important for people to know the steps we have taken recently to address issues of transfers. Because uh, let me say this piece, because this I think is one of the biggest pieces. Everybody's, you know, wants to say throw the private schools out or put them in a different, you know, category or classification. But what it comes down to are two pieces. It comes down to success <laughs> and transfers. Mm. Nobody cares about little sister Mary Margaret that is a member of PIAA and has never even entered into the district tournament. Nobody, you know, do you think sister Mary Margaret needs to be put in to play the Kennedy Catholics of the world? Or, you know, nobody cares unless they can't beat them. When they can't beat them, now I care. Now we care. Now we're mad. Now we don't like them. Now we want them out. And that's not fair when you have to look at the big picture of the things I talked about, you know, the school of choice, um, you know, for Philadelphia, for example, getting those kids out of some of the school systems 
it's their only way out of poverty sometimes. It's their only way out of a bad situation. I mean, they have situations down there that you and I are very unfamiliar with. You know, they're picking up glass off the football field so the kids can practice. I mean, kids are getting shot right outside the school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, we, we're very, you know, you, you know, we're a very big state. We're very diverse from mm -hmm. Erie to Philly to, you know, Pine Richland, mm -hmm. <laughs> you name it. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of tentacles. Um, so there was a summit held in the month of July among 200-plus school officials from various public schools all across the state just to kind of gauge interest and reaction on the topics that we have just been talking about these mm -hmm. last few minutes. Um, PIAA was not invited to that meeting. I'm just kind of curious, no. did that offend you guys? Do you have an opinion either No, one? you know, I, I can't say that we, any of us were personally offended. I would say there was some frustration only from the standpoint of this. We have 32 board members, 32. And there's just no group that's not represented on our board. I'm, and, and we kind of chuckle, but it's everything from a male officials rep to a male parents rep to female parents rep to a male female officials rep to every district representative. Many districts have multiple reps on our board. The ADs, the superintendents, the principals, the school board association, they're all on our board. So our frustration was, you have a process, bring it, bring it forward, bring it through the superintendents, bring it through District 7, bring it through the ADs, the principals. We will absolutely put it on the table. We'll discuss it. We'll talk about it. We'll see what we can do. We'll take it over to the Capitol, you know. But the fact that they just went outside of that process, I think was, that I'd say, if anything, it was just frustrating to us. Mm -hmm. Because I think that they can appreciate, you wouldn't want them, somebody showing up at the school board or not going through the process of, hey, this is the new curriculum for, you know, Cocalico High School, and then having a bunch of rogue teachers go, we're not doing that, we're not teaching that, we're going down there, you know. So it's just, you know, we felt there was like a lack of respect to not, it, or, or pick up the phone and talk to any of us. Not, at no time did anybody from out there, the group, these group of superintendents, pick up the phone, mm. call Bob, call myself, and have a conversation, mm. not once. And look, I know people are going to be listening to this and probably pulling their hair out and then probably have counterpoints <laughs> to counterpoints. And I'm sure I have they do. numbers and information in front of me, but that's not the point. I, I wanted to ask you that to give people an idea on, okay, what's the PIAA's perspective? Here sure. we have the associate director sitting in front of us. Um, and that's why I asked you those questions. One last thing um, along uh, kind of a, a different topic, but still PIAA related. Uh, my colleague Jeff Reinhardt wanted me to ask you this. There's been scuttlebutt of a shot clock coming to high school basketball. Has there been any real discussion on that? No. Mm -hmm. no. I'd say they've discussed it in the past, but no. We okay. don't see it. It's not coming yet. No. All right. Mm -hmm. um, okay. <laughs> so regardless of all the hot-button PIAA topics we just discussed, one of the driving points um, I wanted to have Melissa on this podcast, not only discuss field hockey and, and Lancaster County connections, but to point out that you've accomplished a lot as a professional. You're now in a role that's considered big time in my eyes, doing so as a female. It's more accepted now, of course, um, but maybe when you set out on this career 20 years ago, it maybe wasn't heard of as much. So all that being said, I'm just kind of curious what it means to you to be a female in a prominent position in today's day and age. I think it's, I think it's very important. I don't think I myself am very important, but I think the more females we have in those high-level positions, uh, I think is very important. I think it's an important message, you know, to send to the young girls that maybe want to pursue athletics but aren't sure. Uh, we are seeing more and more 
athletic directors that are female, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that has changed because you just, more women are willing to, they know what they want in the professional life and they know that they have to make some sacrifices here and there. Um, so, you know, I think it's great that you're seeing more of these women, um, you know, reach high levels and, you know, we have around the nation, we have some executive directors that are female and now our new executive director of the national federation is a female from Connecticut. So we're, I'm very excited about that. Looking forward to working hand in hand with her, but yeah. Um, you know, not just for my own daughter, but I'd say for all the girls out there, I think it's important. How do you juggle today? Um, we talked a lot about your athletic side. You're staying busy, uh, staying in shape on that that end. You have two uh, teenage kids. Um, you have a really important full-time job that I'm sure eats up a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. How do you manage all that? Creativity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to say maybe insanity, but... <laughs> you seem like oh, you're pretty sane with everything. Yeah, I, well, I think so. Yeah. And I think that's an important piece is just uh, trying to keep a balance of everything. Mm. Um, I, uh, you know, I probably, I'm sure through the years, I might have, you know, put more eggs in one basket than the other. But um, I think it comes down to balance. I think it comes down to I'm creative with my workouts. Uh, like many people, I'm sure, I, I'm, f- sometimes I do the 5.30 a.m. workout. Sometimes it's at night after the kids go to bed, I'll jump on my trainer on my bike in the basement. Um, and sometimes it's hard to have mentally, uh, you know, to get through those or to want to do them. But I know that that's, it's in my blood. I'm, you know, I'm always going to be somebody that's going to need to have a workout in there somewhere. Last but, question for you. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the point of the podcast where I like to ask guests, is there any like piece of advice or driving life philosophy that you can kind of leave us with that has made you successful? Um, I, I could go any which way with that, but like mm-hmm. you had mentioned it earlier, your competitiveness seems innate in you mm-hmm. and it seems like your energy and your enthusiasm also seems innate in you. I didn't know if, if that's something you've learned to develop over the years or if there's some kind of driving piece of advice you could give us. Yeah, I would say my biggest piece of advice, and I've, I've said this actually to a lot of the young ladies in athletics that I've talked to over the years, is to take yourself outside of your comfort zone. As, as, and it could be something as simple as, I remember in junior high when I first moved up here, I did a speech on, I can't believe I'm going to say this, anti-hunting. I, I just did it because... I didn't know anybody really. I mean, I knew it was big here. I didn't know how big it was, but I just wanted to take the opposition for a second. I just wanted to to do it. I mean, my teacher even tried to talk me out of it, but I still did it. So I've always been okay with, well, I, I learned to get okay with just stepping outside my comfort zone. Um, you know, I was in Chippensburg. I used to go play pickup basketball with nothing, but I was the only mm. female that would go down to Henderson Gymnasium and be there but I'd still walk in and I'd do it because so each time I did that, I think, um, I grew a little. And now when I'm in a job where, you know, I've got either I'm talking to, I'm sitting in a meeting with the governor or I'm, I got an angry parent on the phone or I'm at a state championship and I've got to take somebody's medal, whatever it may be. I'm okay to do it because I've, you know, I've gone down paths of, of resistance. I've gone down paths of stepping outside my comfort zone and I know how to handle it. So I think that'd be my biggest piece of advice. Awesome. Well, hey, if you guys enjoyed listening to today's podcast and you enjoy listening to the previous 97 episodes, so feel free to go back and listen to those in the archives. Just last week, we chatted with Elizabethtown High School alum Olivia Far- Farewell, who is leading a highly successful career with the women's bowling team at Duquesne University. Next week's guest is still kind of a work in progress, but I think it's probably a safe bet to say we will continue along the lines of the sport of field hockey. 
likely involved me making a trip out to Spooky Nook Sports Complex in Mannheim. I'll let you guys kind of make the connections there as to who could be the guest next week. Uh, with that being said, I'm always looking for any suggestions for future guests on the show. So if you listen to this and think, hey, I know this person, they'd be great. Throw me an email, jwalk at lnpnews.com, or contact me on the Twitter at jwalklnp. Uh, Melissa, anywhere folks can find you or follow you or anything like that? You can always find me at the PIAA website. Right. <laughs> Call the PIAA office. That's right. where I'm at. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up here, I just want to give a shout out to my colleagues, Tyler Huber and Claudia Espenshade. Tyler is the engineer slash producer of this podcast. Claudia handles all the posting duties to get this thing online. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys for listening. And Melissa, thanks for sharing your story. Thank you so much.